So we have been teaching through the book of Jonah, and it was not in the way that maybe Bill had recommended because of Steve's ser service here today to imply in any way that he is a Jonah. Um, I'll let you and Bill work that out later. Um, but it is somewhat providential that on this day, Steve, when we honor your ministry, that we address a chapter of Scripture whereby God calls Jonah to go and to share the good news of his hope and love with a people who are lost, because it's been such a theme of your life and of your ministry. And so today we're going to do that. We're going to look at chapter 3, kind of as we continue on in our theme from the morning. How many of you had chores when you were growing up? You had a list of things that your parents said that you had to complete. Maybe it was making your bed, tidying your room, mowing the lawn, bringing in the firewood, doing the dishes, walking the dog. All happy memories, I know, for all of you. I'm guessing that on occasion, maybe very, very rare occasion, there was moments when you were asked to complete your chores and you really didn't want to do them. Is this a fair assumption? That there was days that you did them, but your heart wasn't in it. You went through the motions, you did the task, but you did it with a bad attitude. Maybe you even complained and grumbled while you're doing this. I can see some of the parents lighting up as we talk about this. You kind of had a half-hearted effort. Well, this is kind of going to be an important theme as we work through chapter 3 today, so hold on to that painful memory. I want us to read chapter 3, the first four verses to get us started in this book of Jonah that we've been looking at together as a church. It seems kind of like a little, a little book, a safe book, an innocent book, but today in particular, the message that we're going to look at is profound for each and every one of us. So let's read the first four verses of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and I just love that verse. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, I love how this chapter starts. The Lord speaks to Jonah again. There's so much hope in that one verse. Back in chapter 1, we remember this was the opening line of the book of Jonah. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And as we begin chapter 3, it starts out the same way, and we can't help but think about all that has happened in the last two chapters. God speaks. Jonah runs. God sends a storm. Jonah's thrown overboard. A group of sailors find salvation. Jonah sinks to the bottom of the sea where he's swallowed by a great fish. He's lost everything. He's confined. And while he's trying to get away from God and trying so desperately to run from his presence, he actually runs right into his presence. He meets the Lord. He has a, like a salvation moment. The Lord throws him back up on the dry land. And chapter 3 begins. So in chapter 3, we have not made really any progress. Jonah still hasn't done what he's been called to do. And so Jonah finally goes to Nineveh. If Nineveh was a great city, it was a powerful city, it was known for their horrific violence, this was a dangerous mission. And we find out in this passage that the author says, to make your way in and through Jonah, to do, Jonah, or to do Nineveh, Nineveh justice, it would take about three days' walk. So they figured it was probably 1,800 acres over three square miles. 
Nineveh would have a mix of housing, shops, common spaces, uh, and people kept their animals in, in the city as well. And I'm not talking about urban chickens here. We're talking about like herds of livestock, all a part of this great city. And God calls Jonah to make the three-day journey through the city, giving the message that God had given to him. Question, how many days did Jonah journey? The author is very clear about it. He puts it back to back for our purpose so that we don't miss it. He goes one day. This is not implying that Jonah was uber-efficient. Rather, this is the author's way of telling us that Jonah is like the kid who starts out doing his chores and he didn't finish. He put away the dishes in the top rack. He didn't put away the ones in the bottom. He made his bed, but he didn't put away his clothes. He mowed the front lawn, but not the back lawn. Some commentators even argue that the sermon that Jonah gave to the Ninevites isn't the one that was given to him in chapter 1, that he'd kind of modified it to his own purposes because he had a bit of an angst against the Ninevites. Regardless, the author is hinting that Jonah is going through the motions here. God called him, and he's kind of like the kid who's called to do the chores, and he does them with half effort, complaining all the while, not really doing what he's been asked to do. Now, some of you were here last week or listened last week, and you remember that last week in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah was swallowed up by the great fish, and he had a come-to-Jesus moment. He was repentant in the fish. He called out to God. Remember, he had seaweed around his head. He was like in a jail, locked at the roots of a mountain. Remember, he made vows. He offered sacrifices. And it was like, now today you're thinking, how is it that you can say that Jonah's going through the motions? Last week, he was deeply repentant, but today He doesn't seem to be interested in doing what God has called to do. Yes. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been stirred by God in a worship service? Though it's something in your life that needs to change, you felt convicted or burdened to take your life in a new direction, and then you woke up Monday morning and you didn't? Have you ever sinned and prayed for God for forgiveness and said, I promise I will never do that again, only to wake up the next day and to do it Again, is it possible that Jonah is not the first nor the last follower of God to have an encounter with God in one moment and the return to his old ways or most of his old ways the next day? I'm grateful for this tension in the Jonah story for what seems like an incongruence because Jonah's example reminds us about what discipleship really looks like. As we look at Jonah's life, we all kind of cringe a little bit and say, ooh, I don't think he's living it as God wants us to. True repentance involves three things. First, there must be a sense of remorse and conviction. This is essential. This is an essential response when we meet a holy, loving God. We recognize that there's nothing that we have ever done that can satisfy his requirements for our life. That no matter how hard we try, we struggle and we fall and we miss the mark of God's standard. And so, to quote the 80s initiative, tears are not enough. We're rescued and we call out to God because of our remorse. And then we repent That means there's a turning and going in a new direction. We were heading this way, God interacts us with His grace, and now we turn and we go in a brand new direction. That there's some proof, some evidence in the way we think and in the way we live that God's grace has been at work in our life and that this sorrow that we feel has led to some form of action. And here's where I think Jonah's example helps us. Because Jonah was remorseful. 
and he had some measure of action in his life, but he was missing one thing. He still didn't want to do it. He was obeying God, but he really didn't want to. He was doing the thing that the Lord had asked him to do, but quite frankly, he had an attitude while he did it, leaving us wondering what would true repentance really look like. Well, let's keep reading verses 5 to 10. Ready? The Ninevites believed. (laughs) They believed. The word here is the same word used in the book of Genesis when it talks about Abraham who believed, and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. The Ninevites believed, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This was what you did when you were mourning a death. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust, and he issued a proclamation to the city. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast or herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. This was Nineveh's brand, their violence. Who knows? Maybe, just maybe, God may relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger to us so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah is a story of two kinds of responses to God's word in your life. Jonah, who fights it every step of the way, and the Ninevites, who open their hearts and willingly receive the Lord. One of my favorite passages is Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, and it reads like this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it flourish and bud, so that it yields the sower and the bread for the eater, so my word goes out from my mouth, and it won't return to me empty but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word goes out from his mouth and it accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish in the lives of people. He uses a farming metaphor here, thinking that God's word enters our life and it brings things to life. Dead things, they come alive. People who had nothing get something in their hands. God's word brings things to life. Bread has always been symbolic of life throughout the scriptures, meaning that even today, if you're tired, if you're grouchy, if you hate this sermon series, if the person behind you is kicking your seat and the person beside you's nose is constantly whistling through the whole message, God's word can take root in your life and take you from death to life. Meaning that today, no matter how difficult or how broken your life might seem, God's word can enter into your heart and move you from death to life. This is what happened with the Ninevites. The word of God came to them. They had 40 days to stew with it. 
And they responded in faith. They were remorseful. They repented. They took action. They called out a fast. And they were glad to do so, hoping that God would be merciful on them. And they were transformed. Now, we have similar metaphors or actions that we do to help capture the image of repentance. And for us, it's baptism. And when we become aware of our brokenness, our evil, and our sin, the ways in which our sin impacts not just our lives, but the people that we do life with, we come to God and He shows mercy on us. And when we experience that mercy of God, that grace of God in return, and our life goes in a new direction, Jesus says, tell that story so the world can see, and He says, tell it through the act of baptism. And when, if you've ever seen someone get baptized here on the floor here, in, or in the, in the tank on the bottom here... We see, bring somebody into the water and it's filled and we plunge them right down in. They are like Jonah, they go down to the bottom. (laughs) And this is symbolic of death. That when we realize that true life can only be found in Christ, we die to ourselves. And we surrender to the Lord and we put a person right down to the bottom. But we don't keep them there. (laughs) They come up like Jonah coming up out of the great fish onto the dry land, like Jesus coming up out of the grave. You are resurrected to brand new life as a daughter and son of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to us, if you have received faith, then you should be baptized. He didn't ask, he actually commands it. And so this morning, if you have received faith in Jesus Christ and not been baptized, we would love to have a conversation with you about that. We have some information at the Welcome Center that you can pick up, reach out to us, and we would love to have a conversation with you about making that choice, to tell the story about God's mercy in your life. Let's just do a quick little summary here. Because many commentators think that the purpose of the book of Jonah is not to tell the story about how God almost destroyed the Ninevites, but rather how hard God had to work to soften the heart of his own people. That they would be responsive to the brokenness in their world and go out in grace and mercy towards them. That this book acts as a warning for you and for me as people of faith, as people who've maybe walked with Jesus a really, really long time, that it's completely possible for us to become just like Jonah, partially obedient, somewhat responsive and living with a group of people that we really don't like and we really hope God does not show mercy to or believing that they're too far gone. That as our culture changes so dramatically around us and so quickly, to fall into the temptation to become fearful and even hateful towards other people. And that if we read through the book of Jonah and we see any of that in our own hearts, that we would ask the Lord to redeem us and to do something new. Because for Jonah's audience, the thought that the Ninevites were the good ones, the ones that they are showing us how to really live true faith, would have been shocking to them and made people so angry they would have stormed out the door, slammed it, and sent the pastor a nasty email the next day. But they are, because they show us true repentance, remorse, repentance, and a heart wanting for the Lord to do in their life. Now, this is the theme of the book of Jonah. It's grace. It's not about this awful city. It's not about a great fish. The theme of this book from the very beginning to the very end has been God's grace. Let's look at a chart because I know you love charts at 10 after 12. Um, So on one side, we see that God's mercy extended to Jonah relentlessly. 
God calls Jonah, Jonah runs. God does not give up. He sends a storm. Jonah's sound asleep. He hates these people. He doesn't want to minister to them. He gets thrown into the sea. So God sends a fish. He swallows Jonah up. He cries out in prayer. He makes a vow. He gets spewed out onto dry land, an act of grace. And then God's word comes to him a second time. Do you see how busy God is trying to convert Jonah? How hard he's working to try to get his attention, to try to get him into a life of obedience? It's almost embarrassing in comparison to the Ninevites. They get one sermon. It's eight words in English, five in Hebrew, and the whole place repents, and everybody's got sackcloth and ashes, and they're doing everything they can to open their hearts to the Lord. When we look at Jonah, and we see this theme of God chasing after people relentlessly. I mean, you might be stubborn. I'm brutally stubborn. You might be stubborn, but God is even more stubborn than you. He's not going to give up on you. So let me ask you, are you still running? Do you have your fingers in your ears saying, Lord, I know you're trying to speak to me about that, but I'm not going to listen to you. I know you've been calling me about this thing in my life. I'm not going to pay attention to it. How long will you run? Let the mercy of God break into your heart and redeem. And when I look at the story of Nineveh, these were awful people. They were known for their torture, their murder, and for their slavery. And yet God speaks to them. And as awful as they were, God's grace was greater. And I think this is a wake-up call for you and I, especially as people of faith, that there is nobody outside of the mercy of God, nobody outside of His reach. So who are you praying for? Who's on your list? You've been praying them for weeks, months, years, decades. Do not give up. God's mercy is great. Is there anybody that you've stopped praying for? Is there anybody that you look at and say, they're too far gone, there's not a chance, there's no hope for them? God says, no, if there's hope for the Ninevites, there's hope for everybody. If he can save them, he can save anyone. Because God's mercy is greater. So Jonah finally gets to do what God wants him to do. It took a few chapters. He preaches his message. The Assyrians respond. All seems to be done. But the problem is this is chapter 3. And if you look in your Bibles, you'll see there's also a chapter 4, which we'll look at next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we're going to just pause here in these moments as we pray and then sing to lock eyes with you and to stare into your mercy and grace. Because, Lord, it changes everything. And maybe for some today, God, they've just, they've been running, they've been avoiding they just have been doing everything in their power to distract themselves from your voice in their hearts. Would today be the day that they run no more, they hide no more, that they open their hands and receive what it is you have for them? Maybe, Lord, today, for the very first time, uh, they would open their hearts to follow you. Uh, they've been coming to church, listening online, going through some of the motions but have never really welcomed you as Lord and Savior of their life. 
Maybe today they have welcomed you as Lord and Savior, but they've never said yes to baptism. And every time it comes up in their heart of hearts, they say no. But today, would we open our hands and receive obedience in the gift that you have for us? And Lord, today, maybe what's going on in our hearts is there's people we've given up on. Whether because we're fatigued and praying for them, or maybe there's some people, Lord, uh, that we need to start praying for because we have an attitude. <laughs> and we need your grace to be at work in our hearts. Help us to have eyes to believe that you can reach this city, that there's nobody that is outside of your grasp. And we pray this in your name.